Empire, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Welcome. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. We're going to continue going through our journey in John's Gospel, unlocking the potential God sees in us through the Gospel of John. As you heard, we are on Palm Sunday. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a cult. This journey is the journey that began the change for everything. Unbeknown to the followers, unbeknown to those waving palm leaves, unbeknown to those laying cloaks, excited about the change, unbeknown to them what that would land up being. Who would have thought that Jesus dying and Jesus rising from the dead would change absolutely everything? Well, at the time, they would not have. So try to imagine yourself there at times as we go through this uh, lesson of John's Gospel, chapter 12. This is a journey of peacemaking, a spiritual battle, a theological and political clash. Following Jesus changes absolutely everything. Beginning with the person that follows him. This journey is a journey that changed so much, but not in the way that the people of Israel had anticipated. Nor Rome. Rome did not believe it had any impact. We know the story of Rome. Eventually, it falls apart. Like any imperialism or world-dominating force, it eventually gets pulled down. This journey is a journey where Jesus dies to sow. Dying to sow. Even Jesus himself agonises in the garden to take this cup of suffering from me, but your will be done. What is God's will? What is it, for, what is it like for you to follow God's 
will. What is it like for you to follow the way of Jesus? This week is the, the beginning of Holy Week. This week is the beginning of that passion journey that starts off with absolute excitement and expectation. And by Friday, they're crucifying him, shouting, crying, crucify. By Saturday, they're lost. They're wondering what on earth has gone wrong. How did it come to this? This is the journey that changed everything, particularly for those that follow him. And Jesus knew that the change that all people needed was the change within. This quote from Hans King says, Understanding someone properly involves learning from them. And learning from someone properly involves changing oneself. Following Jesus is not about becoming a world changer. It's about allowing change to come into us. And Jesus reminds his disciples a little bit later during this week what he has taught them and what's going to happen. But yet they're still not clear what that literally means. But he nevertheless prepares them for a time such as this. This journey into Jerusalem was a journey of an invitation for people to follow him. When we follow Christ, we become prepared for the unexpected. When we follow Christ, change is not something that holds us back, but empowers us and enables us to press on despite the world that we've come to be a part of. Two major changes in our world are constant. Worldly change, who would have thought it? A year on, we'd still be in this pandemic. The world is always changing. And the second major change is personal change. It often feels like some people don't actually change, but we're either growing healthily or we're dying slowly. When we die to Christ, we grow even more. When we reject Christ, we don't realise how we're slipping away into nothing. As followers of Christ, we are compelled to be agents of change, of Christ changing us from the inside out. Cultivate, cultivating healthy, godly relationships above religion and theology. And establishing a theocracy above any other political preference. Because this is a political statement that's taking place in this Palm Sunday. Jesus riding in as the Lord and Saviour, the, the Messiah, the one who is going to liberate Israel from the Roman imperialism. Jesus continues to remind his followers throughout this week. John 14 says, I have said these things to you while I am still with you. What do you mean still with us? You've still got another 30 years to go, surely. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said. 
thank God for that because I have not got a big brain and I can't contain or uh, retain all the stuff that I've learned. So praise God for the Holy Spirit that brings things to the forefront of my mind as and when it is necessary. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. We're going to hear, do not let them be afraid so often. Apparently in the scriptures there's 365 accounts of that phrase, do not be afraid, fear not. One for every day of our lives. You heard me say to you, says Christ, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. Jesus always reflects the goodness and the glory and the power to the Father. And now I have told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. You will be ready. Get ready for change. I've prepared you for a time such as this. You may not fully understand, but know this, expect the unexpected. You will discover a peace when we allow ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of our hearts and minds because of the glory of Christ in us. We will be ready for absolutely anything, even death, because death does not have its sting on us. Jesus came into Jerusalem, greeted with a palm leaf on the Sunday. And by the Friday, he has thorns thrust onto his forehead. What a fickle crowd. Maybe it was some of the same crowd. Maybe it was a different crowd. We are not privileged to know that kind of detail. But from a palm leaf to a thorn. Christ's journey took that shape from the crowd excited and expectant to the crowd disappointed, angry, wanting him crucified. Journeys are a part of our life. I remember going on a journey when I was a youngster and we would go on for very long journeys for our summer holidays. Our summer holidays were only very short, but our journeys seemed longer than the holidays. Now, when I was a teenager, my uh, parents would say, we've all got the opportunity to choose some music to be played. And back then, in the olden days, I haven't got one, because I think I've thrown them all away, were little cassettes where they had little reels going through them. And you could put them into a cassette recorder in the car and you could play them. And we had to choose which music we would like for the journey. And then they were 90 minutes long. So we all had 90 minutes each, a very long journey. So my mum would choose some classical music. I would choose some, some now music, whatever the now of the 80s was, now 21 or whatever it was. And my sister would choose some more um, sort of love music, and then my dad would choose his music and he'd put his tape in and it was a, a blank tape. So for 90 minutes we had to sit in silence and respect each other's choice of music. We weren't allowed to complain or to make a, a, a negative, a derogative comment about that um, chosen piece of music then, if you like. Um, we had to just sit. And you know, reflecting back, 
they were awesome times. Sometimes God causes us to sit and be and listen and receive. Life is full of journeys. June prayed that I would become a Christian. For some 28 years, I had not listened to the voice of God. And when June prayed, and after three years, her prayers were answered, she was absolutely filled with gratitude to God for the journey that she's had to endure with me, being the type of person that I was then. Still, she has to endure me, but hopefully it's a lot better. But you'll have to speak to June about that one. But she prayed for three years, and I gave my life to Christ. And then she was like, this is great, but Lord, can you slow him down? And she'd never expected our Christian journey to come to this, to be in the church leadership that we find ourselves in. Yet, the Lord had prepared us for a time such as this. He had been on our journey all the time. God brings peace in every aspect of our journey when we allow the Holy Spirit to uh, spiritually transform us on that journey. So God has prepared you. God has prepared Breton Baptist Church. I believe God has prepared every church for a time such as this. During this pandemic, many, many churches have seen people slip away from the church they once called their church. What many churches are experiencing though, as are we, are those that are considered non-believers taking a serious interest in the life and faith of the people in the church. They are searching spiritually for something more. So if anything, that's a good news story or a bunch of good news stories coming out of this pandemic. People, this is the harvest the church has been praying for, surely? It is coming, not the way we expected, but I believe it is coming. Are we preparing ourselves? Are we ready for the harvest God is stirring up among our churches? Come on, surely we must rejoice. We must get our palm leaves out and start praising God. Hallelujah! We're seeing new growth. We've been dying to sow for years and now it is here. Let's not land up on the Good Friday and go, oh my goodness, it's not the way we expected. You know what, brothers and sisters, church will never be the way you expect it. It'll be better because it's his church, not our church. He builds the church. He grows the church. We are mere servants to the Lord and to his church. I wonder what was going through Jesus' mind when he rode in on that donkey on that day, on that Sunday, as they sang, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. We obviously know how the story pans out, but let me just put some context to this. This was, as we know, the festival of the Passover, one of the three major festivals of the Hebrew calendar. 
This was the great spring festival at the heart of Jewish life and worship. From then until now, Passover commemorates the Exodus, the time when God set his people free from slavery from in Egypt. Through the sacrifice of the lamb and the crossing of the Red Sea, the journey was long. The journey had a purpose. The journey had a process. Our journeys have a purpose. Our journeys require a process. Without the process, the purpose becomes almost irrelevant. Celebrated with great pomp and ceremony, this festival, especially on the first night when a special family meal called the Cedar is held. The whole family took part in this to remember the journey that God had taken them on. At the cedar, foods of symbolic significance commemorating the Hebrews' liberation are eaten. And prayers and traditional recitations are performed at this one momentous time. Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem was extremely symbolic. It is also a fulfilment of a prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. Do not be afraid. Here we hear it again. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Some, so many Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in this week of the last week of Jesus, the Holy Week, the Passion Week, the, the week that's more important than Christmas. So much symbolism is represented in this journey. Some symbolism we don't see. Where does the palm leaves come into it? Where, where, where did that come from? Well, that's a, from another festival. Not one of the biggest festivals, but it's the festival of Hanukkah which is a Jewish festival commemorating the recovery of Jerusalem and the subsequent re re rededication of the second temple at the beginning of the Maccabean revolt against the Seleucid um, Empire in the second century before Christ, around 164. It is known as the Festival of Lights. Judas Maccabeus led the revolt against the pagan invaders and cleansed the temple. His followers entered the city waving palm branches to welcome him in. The time of year is between November and December. So they've combined the two. This is a great celebration. This is what we've been waiting for. But not expected to turn out the way it did. As a way of us placing great emphasis on this week, as a church, we are inviting you and everyone else to come on a journey with us through these next seven days, starting tomorrow. As a church, we will be posting online and have handed out already sheets to those that prefer that method of uh, communication, um, a daily devotion on the journey of the cross in the light of the pandemic. So please come and join with us um, and pass it on, share it with other people. And on Thursday, we will be taking our communion service on Monday, Thursday in the evening. Please check out the link for that. And on Good Friday, um, the whole church has organised a day where 
everyone can come along and journey through the steps of the cross. You do need to sign in for that and uh, book your space. I hope it isn't all full up just yet so others can join in. So we are taking ourselves on this journey together as well as individually. A journey of a lifetime. A journey that changes absolutely everything. I believe there are so many more people during this pandemic who are searching for their lives to be radically transformed, changed for a lifetime. I believe a harvest is stirring up. I believe if we're not careful, we're going to miss it. Let's put some more context in this two theological dilemmas going on during this festival week. The contrast between the two theologies of the imperial Rome and Jesus Christ. Pilate's procession from the west of imperial power, but also Roman imperial theology. According to this theology, the emperor was not simply the ruler of Rome, but the son of God. This language was not invented by Christians. It began with the, pro, with the greatest of emperors, Augustus, who ruled from 31 BC before Christ to 14 AD after Christ, or CE, whatever you follow. His father was the god, the god Apollo, who conceived him in his mother, Artias, or Atia, or Asia, depends how you want to pronounce it, which had inscriptions referred to him as Son of God, Lord and Saviour, one who brought peace on earth. After his death, he was seen ascending into heaven to take his prominent place among the gods. His successors continued to her divine titles, including Tiberius, emperor from 14 to 31 AD, and uh, thus emperor during the time of Jesus' public activity. For Rome, Jewish subjects, for Rome's Jewish subjects, Pilate's procession embodied not only a rival social order, but also a rival theology. Coming in from the west is, is Pontius Pilate with his entourage of, of standards and colours and uh, stallions and power and military and from the east is Jesus coming in with a procession of poor people, people that are powerless and who are waving palm leaves and laying their cloaks for him to come and liberate them from the grasp of imperial Rome and the theology of Rome. Both seen as divine, sent by God, but not everyone was sure for certain either way. The same is true today. People are not sure of Jesus' authority, of Jesus' power, of Jesus' identity, of what it means to have an eternal relationship, to have a life changed for a lifetime. People miss the understanding of the power and the purpose of Jesus. Therefore, they miss out on the process of a life-transforming journey into eternity. Both were bringing peace, but by completely different methods. Imperial Rome by force, fear and brutality of every kind, but then bringing order under Imperial Rome as long as it benefited Rome. 
Jesus comes humbly, quietly, lovingly, sacrificially, obediently, slipping underneath Imperial Rome's solid foundations, the dark forces of imperialism. He begins to chip away, to take it away, and we know it falls, as every imperialism falls. The English imperialism fell and is falling. You know, I wonder what that equivalent would be today. I wonder whether the equivalent would be for England if, if we all processed down the mall leading up to Buckingham Palace and, and waved banners that Jesus is King of England, Jesus is Lord over the monarchy. I wonder what that would be like. I wonder whether that's an equivalent to what we hear in the Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. It probably is an act of treason. It definitely was an act of treason then. It led Jesus to the cross, to death, and they thought they'd silenced him. But all they did was fulfil the prophecy for Jesus dying to sow. Because the church has grown and continues to grow ever since. And to this day it grows. The significance of Jerusalem was not just any city, but the first century it had been the centre of the sacred geography of the Jewish people for a millennium. And ever since, it has been central to the sacred imagination of both Jews and Christians. <coughs> its associations are both positive and negative. It is the city of God and the faithless city. The city of hope and the city of oppression. The city of joy and the city of pain. Ironically, this city was now the epicenter of Jewish liberation and oppression. Jesus knew how and when to hit a significant message home. He picks another major festival and later at Pentecost we're going to hear how this major festival was significant to the journey of the growth of the church. Jesus is dying to sow Without him dying, the church will not grow. Unless we die to Christ, we will not grow in the way that God has ordained for us. But we must die to sow. Jesus knew what the journey would be like. If we knew our journey, would we resist it? Would we kick against it? Would we fight against it? Jesus comes to take away the sins of the world. At the beginning of the week, we hear religious leaders say, the whole world has gone after him, verse 19. Before the week is out, on the first day of Passover, it sounds like the whole world is against him. Crucify him, crucify him. What a fickle bunch of people. So often we can be so fickle and we can sway this way and sway that way. But Christ rooted in us, establishes us with solid ground. Crucifying the one who is going to set us free and he doesn't even hold it against us. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What an awesome God. Obviously, many of us know that the, the story ends with the resurrection or it begins, if you like, 
with the resurrection, which we're going to be celebrating next week. But imagine if you can, that you are there. Where in the crowd are you? Are you one of the religious leaders? Are you one of the followers that then denies him and rejects him and runs away in fear for your own life? Or are you a part of the Roman imperialism? Have you got a business that you need to look after so you, 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 you abide by all the rules of Rome in order to keep your business alive? Where are you? This J Jerusalem journey includes learning to carry our cross. But it's more than that. It's learning to carry the cross of others. I was so inspired by a clip this last week on BBC News. This clip reminded me of what it means to carry a cross, to die to sow. We're going to watch this clip and I wonder, I wonder if this touch, touches you as it touched me. เออเนาะเบ็ดตะเนี่ยตะนับพอบมาว่าเยนี่บ่เนาะเยนี่เนาะเบ็ดตะเนี่ยคลีกันนั้นเช่นที่ว่าเกี้ยวดูว่าเป
I once read a story again back in Burma about a guy called James Morsley meeting somebody. He wrote a book called The Heart Must Break because of his experience of Burma around 1999. And he says exactly the same thing. He meets a man that's lost his whole village, his whole family, and he says it's the apocalypse. What an act of selfless, courageous, Christ-bearing, cross-bearing for the sake of others. What a, a, an example of standing in the place of the cross for others. An example of our Lord Jesus Christ. She says, kill me instead. A nun who protects protesters in Myanmar. This nun picked up the cross of these fleeing men. She did this the day she took up her cross in holy union with Christ. Her name is Anne Rose Nightwang. Forgive me if I've pronounced that wrong. She was willing to die for others. That's the significance of the cross. It changes everything. The journey to the cross changes everything. It changes it for you and for me. It is the epitome of the scripture that says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain in the book of Philippians. It causes us, that when we travel the journey to the cross, it causes our hearts and our minds to be radically transformed. We, we take a 360 degree turnaround. Everything changes. The way we look at others, the way we look at ourselves, the way we look at the world changes. The way we engage, the way we respond, the heart that we have for the world changes for the better. It makes us new. It makes us whole. Uh, I want to share with you a prophetic word that came this week. As I was preparing this service, um, I went out for a walk, as I do every day with my dogs, dropping uh, Portia off to school. And I'd not long read about the significance of conkers, horse chestnuts then. Um, now, you probably remember, like I do, um, playing chestnuts at school with a piece of string and a conker tied to it because it's, we've drilled a hole in it and we're trying to knock each other's conkers, um, like a, almost in a Darwinian style of the survival of the fittest, trying to get your conker to be the, the champion. Is it, a, is it a one-er? Is it a two-er? Is it a tenner? Is it a twenty-er? How many conkers have you smashed with your conker? There are all kinds of, of, of advice of, of, of trying to preserve your conker so it's more solid. But when you pick up a conker, it's in a shell with prickly bits. I don't know what that's called, but you have to open it and you, you get this beautiful conker inside, this smooth, moist, perfectly designed conker. And as I was walking, now this is what we're in March, as I was walking and contemplating and praying and, and meditating on the message for today, I came across a conker. A conker that should not be there. It's, and it had, this is all shriveled up now because it's been in my office for the last few days, but it had a shoot from its um, centre. It was a conker that had fallen and been left and it started to sprout out. Now, if you bury a conker in the ground, it will start to sprout a new shoot 
and it will turn into a sapling a, a year later. It will grow to a sapling. And after however long, it grows into a beautiful ch horse chestnut tree, producing hundreds, if not thousands, more conkers. It dies to sow. Unless we die to sow, we will not grow. Jesus was trying to put this point home. The most significant part of the journey that Jesus wanted them to understand is that unless he dies, he is not glorified. Unless he dies, the church does not become the church. Unless we die, we do not produce fruit. Jesus needed to die for our sins, to remove death's thing from us. It has no victory on us. We are free. We are liberated. Not the way Israel anticipated, but it's the way it needed to be. God had prepared Israel, and some of Israel follow, and some of Israel do not follow. So therefore, they're still waiting for that, that which is already here. Jesus died, so fruit will be born and we will be set free and sin's grasp will be loosened from us and we can shake off the sin of this world. It no longer holds us back because Jesus Christ moves us on. Sorry, getting a bit passionate there. Getting a bit passionate. The scripture that follows on from this says this. Now, among those who went, this is John 12, 20 to 26. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew told Philip and went to Jesus and told him. And Jesus answers in a peculiar way. The hour has not come for the son. The, sorry, rephrase that. The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But it, if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their lives lose it, lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, must take up their cross and follow me. I've added that bit in there, but it's in the scriptures, obviously. Where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honour. Unless Jesus had died, we would remain slaves to this world, slaves to an alternative spiritual bondage. If Jesus had not risen, the church would not have grown. Jesus' journey into, into Jerusalem, facing all the religious bigots and imperial Rome, was for the sake of the world. Jesus' journey to the cross confused those who followed him and satisfied those who opposed him. It was at his resurrection that brought about the changes he knew that would change everything. Your resurrection changes absolutely everything. Everything changes for those who follow Christ. Life be remains the same for those that do not choose Christ. 
Same old day. You know, how many times have you heard that? How's it going? What are you up to today? Same old, same old pandemic. Same old indoors. Can't move. Going out for my once a day walk. Surely, surely not. If that's where your life has come, if that's where you are on the journey of the cross of Christ, then you've lost perspective. You've lost the purpose. You've derailed from the process. Jesus' journey was crucial for the salvation of every human being. Jesus picked up humanity's cross and carried it to his execution. So we need not lose our lives to this world, to the evil forces and the worldly powers. It changed everything that day. It is believed that Jesus uh, carried the world's cross for some 600 metres, that's 2,000 feet. The journey to the cross for every soul is no more than 14 inches. It took me some 28 years to travel from here to here. How long is it taking you to travel from here to here? Apparently, the Israelites were in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years. Apparently, the journey can take three weeks. It's time to remind ourselves what it means to carry our own cross. Our own cross is a lifetime of calling to follow Jesus wherever he takes us, for he has prepared us for a time such as this. The changes that need to take place will become in the power of the Holy Spirit as we allow spiritual transformation. But it also means that we are willing to carry someone else's cross because it changes everything. It doesn't change the world, but it changes everything for that person. Are you dying to sow? Are you dying to self for Christ to grow in you. Christ died that we, his church, should grow. Dying to sow is the willingness to live a sacrificial life of worship, devotion and service to Jesus Christ. It changes everything for us. When we die to self and grow in Christ, it will not necessarily be the way that we expect it. It will be better. Seeing growth in his church will never be the way we perceive it but the growth is his growth in his church not mine not yours are you ready for what Christ is preparing for his church for the next season for a time such as this Christ is ready Christ is waiting Christ is on the move let us each take up our cross Help others with theirs and let us take our place in his mission, in his plan for the reconciliation of the whole world to him. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. If you are dying to sow, you will reap the rewards. Very truly, I tell you, says Christ, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. As we prepare to sing our final hymns this morning, let me just lead us into a short prayer that will lead us into worship and during that worship make a response to the risen Christ. Jesus, 
you change everything for us. Father, if there's any among us this morning who are feeling a lack of purpose and have resisted the process of spiritual transformation, Father, I invite them now to open up their hearts, their minds, their hands, their whole body and say, Jesus, come into my life. I choose to follow you for the first time or for the umpteenth time. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my recklessness. Forgive me of my denying you. Forgive me of not involving you in every part of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Lord, I will take up my cross and follow you. Jesus, I will even take somebody else's cross. Like you fell more than once on the way to the place of execution. Others helped carry your cross. Lord, I want to carry, help someone carry their cross. Father, set us free from the bondage of this world. I pray in the name of Jesus that if you've prayed a sinner's prayer of forgiveness, you are set free. That you die to sow and rise to grow. Let us die to sow and rise to grow. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. And as we sing this next hymn, let us just allow Christ, by the power of his Holy Spirit, to have his way with us. <laughs>